Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad that you're here today. Looking out upon this crowd of people, it must be spring break. (laughs) Glad you're here today. We welcome you and uh, hope God's going to bless you in a very special way today as we worship our Lord, as we gather in the name of Christ, as one body of Christ, and as we share this time together. Uh, let me uh, uh, welcome our guests, especially today. You're very important, and we're, we hope that you'll feel a part of our family as we worship together. And let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets. I'd like to ask, if you would, to take those and to fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us this morning. If you could do that, we would certainly appreciate it. I'd like to call to your attention a few announcements that we have. Uh, I was asked to tell everybody that uh, let me see if I can get this right. If you've left dishes or something, there are a bunch of dishes out, out on the table here that people have left. And so check back there on the table before you leave. 
you know, we, we have potlucks and, you know, things like that going on all the time. And uh, some people bring uh, things and dishes and they don't pick them up. And so check back there to see if one of your dishes is back there or maybe more than one and take them home with you. Or it might be a good wedding present or something, you know. So, <laughs> so yes, I'm sorry, they are empty. So, <laughs> uh, also uh, this evening, uh, the uh, the present future book study will be taking place this evening at five o'clock. So, if you're a part of that group, please uh, uh, be here for that. Uh, the Baptist Fel- uh, the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship Spring Gathering will be coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, April the 24th and 25th, and that'll be in Danville, Kentucky. So if you'd like to, to be a part of, there, of that, the, uh, the website is in, the, uh, in your bulletin there. Just go to that website and you can register, and there's a link on there to, for a, a hotel reservations as well if you, as, if you would like. And we encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, we're continuing to, to sign folks up for our Extreme Build mission trip this summer. There's a sign-up sheet on the table. Uh, we will be, uh, be gone June the 7th through the 13th, and this again is in McCreary County. And this is the 10th uh, extreme build uh, that Kentucky Baptist Fellowship has sponsored. And uh, if you've never been a part of this, this is, I mean, it, it's a sight. We, we show up on Monday morning um, to begin our work, and there's hardly anything there. There's a foundation, maybe some framing up. And we go to work, and in less than a week's time, we're handing the keys over to the new owners. So it, it's really a remarkable thing to see, and it's a great experience to be a part of that. So you can go for a day or two. You can go for the whole week, however much you want to do. And uh, the only expense that you will have is your hotel room. Um, uh, everything else will be covered for you. Also, our youth is uh, our youth are uh, sponsoring a fundraiser uh, this during this time. And there's a sign-up sheet on the table for that as well. Uh, they are selling Vidalia onions. Anybody know what a Vidalia? Everybody knows Vidalia. See, I'm a Georgia boy. I know where Vidalia is. I've been to Vidalia, and uh, they have the best onions in the world. I know those people from Texas think they got good onions too, and they're all right. But <laughs> but it's, it's Vidalia onions, and uh, so they are selling Vidalia onions, and there are order forms on the table there, or you can see Virginia Marcy. Uh It's great to share this time together. It's great to share the love of Christ with one another. So let me invite you now to stand and let us sing together our song of gathering, the bond of love.
Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you this morning for bringing us together to worship you in this place. We thank you for your faithfulness in sustaining Community Baptist Church as a community of faith in you. You have gathered us together today from many walks of life. You have called us out of our varied existences to be one congregation. And we worship you today as one body of Christ. Before his death, our Lord Jesus prayed that his followers would be one as he and the Father are one. And that oneness is a gift to us through the Holy Spirit. Yet we are ashamed to say at times we have turned our back on that gift. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have sometimes looked more like quarreling children than mature disciples. And we confess that all throughout history and even in our present time, the church has often been divided while it was your will that we be united. We confess that the church has sown seeds of prejudice where you sought to reap, to reap love. We can hardly bring the good news of justice and peace to the lives of humankind <coughs> when the world can see that we Christians are like a house divided against itself. We confess that we have fallen short in your vision of the church. We have not lived in the loving communion which mirrors the unity of the Father and the Son. And for this we repent and we humbly ask your forgiveness. Lord, help us to realize your vision of a church that will bring all people into communion with you and with one another. <coughs> this is our gift. This is our calling. For this we pray. Lord, help us to realize your vision of a church which will express its unity by living in genuine fellowship and acting together in mutual accountability. This is our gift. This is our calling. For this we pray. Lord, help us to realize your vision of a church that will reach out to everyone Sharing, caring, proclaiming the good news of your redemption. This is our gift. This is our calling. For this we pray. And Lord, help us to realize your vision of a church, your people on the way together, confronting all divisions of race and gender and age and culture, striving to realize justice and peace, upholding the integrity of your creation. This is our gift. This is our calling. For this we pray. We know you have a purpose for us in your kingdom. And we pray for your forgiving grace and for your loving guidance as we seek to fulfill our calling and to mirror among our brothers and sisters the communion which, which marks you, your being in Trinity together. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Will you please join me in our responsive reading? How good and pleasant it is when we live in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We will be humble, gentle, and patient. We will keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. We have been given grace to prepare for the works of the service, so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith. How good and pleasant it is when we live in unity.
Our scripture reading today is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sowed them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. That cataract surgery. Not quite there yet. There you go. Um, Kyle, I need you. Kirk, Knight, I need you. Jesse, come on up. You can be kids today. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's what happens. Hi, Zoe. How was your spring break? Oh, look at the little boy. <laughs> Everybody, oh, everybody have a good spring break. You know what Dr. Tim's going to talk about is, here, Kyle, you want to read this for me? Doing what you were meant to do. Hmm, doing what you were meant to do. How do you know what you were meant to do? What's your calling? Do you know yet? <coughs> I'm 56. I don't know yet. <laughs> Maybe it's to be working with others at Christian Outreach. What about you, Zoe? Do you know what God wants you to be yet? What's your calling? I've got a new calling. Do you know what I learned to do over spring break? Draw. Did you know that? Now I'm an artist. <laughs> Ready? Zoe, what's wrong? What's wrong with my pen? I don't know why I can't draw. Kurt, do you know why I can't draw? The lid. Here's the lid. Oh, there's tape on it. Mm. Perhaps that's what God does to us. God tapes us up sometimes so we can't find our calling. And it's only when we start taking that tape off and we learn what God's really saying to us that we find out what our calling is. And that goes for you guys that are a little bit older. You may not know what your calling is, and that's that's okay. You may have to go through some trials and a lot of different things to get to where your calling is, and that's okay too. As long as you're around your church family and you keep coming to church and you learn from God what he wants you to do, you're going to be all right. Let me read this real quick here, and then we'll go on. God has a has something special for each of us to do. It is important that we don't let anything keep us from doing what we are meant to do. God might want some of you to be teachers. Jess, I know you're starting a new job. You might 
be teaching. Um, if that is what God has for you, then don't let anyone or anything keep you from being the best teacher you can be. God might want others of you to be factory workers, missionaries, librarians, homemakers, preachers, doctors, salesmen, or who knows what. But whatever God has in store for you, you do it. And don't let anything stop you. Remember this marker? We don't want to be like this. As long as the marker lets the tape keep it from doing what it's supposed to do, it's no good. But if we get rid of the tape, the marker can do its job and do it well. I want to be like the marker is without the tape so I can do what I was meant to do. Let God help you discover what it is you are meant to do and then don't let anything keep you from doing it. Let's say a word of prayer. Oh God, thank you for this beautiful day. Guide each of us to discover what it is we are meant to do and continue teaching us so we won't let anything keep us from doing it. We ask these things in your name. Amen. stand and sing our offertory hymn, God of Grace and God of Glory. Will you pray with me? 
Our Father, we thank you again for this lovely, lovely day. No rain. We pray that you'll continue to bless us. And Lord, help us to be good servants of thine and good servants of what you give us. You give us much more than we deserve. Thank you for this lovely place. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. How many of you like grits? Oh, yeah, I see some good southern folks out there. The Reverend uh, Bill Bryan tells about a friend of his named Ray, who is originally from the south, but he is now living in Chicago. And being a southerner, Ray says that one of the most challenging things about living in Chicago is how hard it is to find a restaurant that will serve him some grits. And so... Bill, being a northerner, asked Ray, well, what is a grit anyway? And Ray informed Bill that there is no such thing as a grit. They don't come by themselves. They come in a community of other grits. You can't just order one grit. Well, being a pastor and always looking for a good illustration, Bill says, we're a lot like grits. Some of us are grittier than others, I suppose, but we are not here on our own. We have been created to be in community with others. And you know, he's right. He's right, particularly 
as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, I, would, I could go so far as to say that there is no such thing as a solitary Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian who separates himself or herself from the rest of the community of faith. Some of you may remember a song by country singer Tom T. Hall many years ago that said, Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. Well, that's the way a lot of Christians would like to live. Just them and Jesus. But folks, it can't be done. You see, we are a part of a body. Christ's body. And we live in union with Jesus Christ and with one another. And so, in that respect, we are a lot like grits. There is no such thing as one individual grit or one individual Christian who separates himself or herself from the body of Christ. And we need to understand this principle. And I understand that, that this is hard. This is a hard thing for, for people like us in our individualistic society to grasp. It's something that's kind of foreign to us because we were brought up in our, in our nation, in our country, to, to be the rugged individual. But that's not what the Bible tells us we are to be. So we need to kind of get over that. And, we, and it's important for us to, to grasp this spirit of communion for our own spiritual well-being. So listen as, as the writer of Acts describes those earliest Christians. Uh, by the way, Luke wrote the book of Acts. The same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke wrote the book of Acts. And, and he says that, here in Acts, he says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Listen again to those words. All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Now some people will say, well, that's socialism. And I guess a case could be made for that. But, but my definition of socialism is when the state orders that all property be shared. But this is Christianity at its very best. And, and, and no one was ordering anyone to do anything. Instead, these people were feeling the presence of God's Spirit... <clears throat> So strongly that they felt a responsibility for everyone else's well-being. And so they shared what they had so that no one was needy. 
Now let me contrast this attitude with a true story, and I, and I think a tragic story that I heard just recently. A devout young woman who was very committed to her church was browsing through some of her, uh, her friends' Facebook posts, and she saw that one of her friends at church had just bought a new Maserati. And not only that, but her friend had posted that he had paid cash for it. Well, obviously this friend was doing pretty well in, in his business, and, and, and he didn't mind boasting about it. But the young woman who saw this post wondered, what in the world would inspire a Christian to buy a car valued at $160,000 and boast about it on Facebook when just the week before, another brother in their church shared with both of them that he had lost his job and, and had no food for his family. And the friend who had just bought that Maserati had done nothing to help this brother who was in need. Now, is it a sin to buy a Maserati? I don't know. I'll leave that up to the Lord to decide. But I do know that it's a sin to ignore a brother or sister in need. And I do believe that it's probably a sin to boast about your good fortune and to be insensitive to the needs of the people around you. <clears throat> you see, the early church shared everything in common so that none of them was in need. And I'm not suggesting that, that we do that. I don't, want a, I don't want a moving van outside my park, outside my house this week. But this is how the early Christians provided for one another. So what could motivate people to do something like this? This is totally foreign to us. What could motivate people to do this? Well, let's listen once again to these important words. All the believers were one in heart and mind. This state statement <clears throat> tells us that there was a great spiritual bond among these Christians. There was a great sense of harmony and unity and purpose. Psalm 133.1 was a part of our responsive reading just a moment ago. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Can you imagine what a church could do if... Everyone was unified and everyone was working towards one common goal like that. Can you imagine what a church could do if everybody was on the same page and moving in the same direction? A church could do anything. Just look what happened in that first century. But it often doesn't happen like that. Dr. Ray Pritchard tells about a cartoon uh, a, a, a cartoon that had a city council, a town council, who was trying to uh, promote more unity in their town. Apparently there was some bickering going on back and forth among the people, and they were trying to promote more unity within this small town. And so they passed a resolution that read like this. Be it resolved from this time forth that all citizens will at all times agree with all other citizens on all issues. And then the punchline came in the last frame that said the measure passed by a narrow mar margin. <laughs> so much for everyone agreeing. And it would certainly, 
It certainly would be a miracle if we ever completely agreed with about everything. It might happen if we had a fresh experience of the risen Christ, and, and wouldn't that be wonderful? Let's pray for that. Let's pray that Christ will help us to be more like that early church. Because, folks, there is great power when there is a unity of purpose. And even more importantly, when we are united in our spirit, in our hearts, in our minds, you know what happens? We become aware of one another's needs. You know, it troubles me when I see people in the world who are more caring about others than we are, who claim to be Christians. There was a story not long ago that made sports pages all over the world. It was about a 17-year-old long-distance runner named Megan Vogel. Megan had, had just run the race of her life. She had won the 1,600-meter race to become the 2012 Ohio High School State Champion. And so that in and of itself would be quite an accomplishment, but she was also entered in the grueling 3,200-meter race, but now her energy was zapped. She just run a great race, and, and her energy level was low. But she decided to run the race anyway, and, and she was... She was determined to finish it, and as she turned that corner in the final torturous lap, she was in last place, but she was going to finish that race. However, ahead of her was Arden McMath, a runner from a rival school, and Arden was having a tougher time even than, than Megan was. In fact, not far from the finish line, she totally collapsed on the truck. Now, Megan could have just as easily passed her by, but Megan did something quite remarkable. You see, she stopped, and she picked Arden up and held her all the way to the finish line. And then listen to this, folks. To top it all off, just before they crossed the finish line, Megan pushed Arden in front of her so that in the final standings, Arden would not finish last. Megan would. This act of sportsmanship, make, sportsmanship made the headlines all over the world. And Megan said, if you work to get to the state meet, you deserve to finish, no matter who you are. And then she said, I think fate may have put me in last place for a reason. I would like to use a word stronger than fate. If she was a follower of Jesus Christ, then I would like to think that she pushed her rival in front of her across that finish line as a testimony to her faith in Jesus. Nevertheless, I am aware that sometimes the children of this world live more Christ-like than children of the light sometimes. And that's tragic. Last week was Easter. Notice how Luke describes the willingness of the early church to lift one another up. He said, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons 
among them. Do you see what's happening here? Sharing with one another was how these early Christians testified to the resurrection of the Lord. My friends, these these people were a new kind of people because they had experienced the resurrection of Jesus. And folks, when that kind of thing happens, it is a it is a beautiful thing to see. Frederick Beekner in his book Telling Secrets tells about sharing a pleasant dinner with his mother one evening when they were interrupted by a telephone call from a friend. This friend's family had been traveling uh, and visiting in another part of the country and they had been in a terrible automobile accident. And so the friend asked Beekner if he would come and meet him at the airport and wait uh, wait with him at the airport where he was about to catch a plane to go to where his family was. And Beekner said he would. But Beekner's mother was furious. She said that Beekner was a fool, a fool to think of ruining their evening together for such a ridiculous reason. And for a moment, he says, he was horrified to find himself thinking that maybe she was right. And then in the next moment, says Beekner, he saw more clearly than, they had, than he had ever seen before that it is just on such outwardly trivial decisions as this, should I go or should I stay, that human souls are saved or lost. And he also saw for what may be the first time in his life that we are called to love our neighbors, not just for our neighbor's sake, but for our sake. So you see, sharing with one another was how these early Christians testified to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had with a great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work at them, in them that there was no, pers- no needy persons among them. Now think about that for a moment. There were no needy persons among them. What an amazing statement that is. You know, there are all kinds of needy people in the world. Some are financially needy, some are emotionally needy, some are socially needy, some are spiritually needy. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we are responsible for meeting all kinds of needs. Now as I look out into this congregation, I see that we are predominantly a middle class church. Would you agree with that? Pretty much a middle-class church. I haven't seen any Maseratis in our parking lot. But we are, for the most part, pretty fortunate people, aren't we? Every once in a while, someone might find themselves in a tight spot, and, and, and hopefully we're there to help when that happens. But the point is that Most of our encounters with financially needy people will be with people in our community. 
We don't have a whole lot of folks here that is direly impoverished. And so it's going to be out there where we encounter people who are financially needy. And if we're going to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to our community like that early church did, then we're going to have to minister to the needy in our community. We're going to have to open up the doors of our church for senior citizens to come and pick up commodities every month. We're going to have to go down to the King's Kitchen or the Salvation Army and serve meals to folks who otherwise might find it hard to provide for themselves. And I'm so proud that this church does that. And I hope we do it cheerfully and generously. I know that we do. Let me give you an example here. Robert Schnees in his book titled Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations tells a story about a a downtown congregation in a moderate-sized town. And occasionally homeless people and street people would stop by the church looking for a, a handout. In fact, street people could often be found sleeping on the front door, uh, doorsteps of their church. And so this presented an issue for them, for their congregation. And the staff spent a lot of time developing rules and guidelines and policies for how to help these people or how to refer them to other agencies where they could, could be helped and And for hours, they discussed such issues as to whether to to give these folks cash or vouchers. And one day they had spent, had this long meeting considering uh, all of these things, discussing these things, and they came to very few conclusions. But then as the pastor was leaving the church that afternoon, he noticed that the part-time custodian was carrying the garbage out to the dumpster in the alley. And there was a homeless man sprawled out next to the dumpster looking barely conscious. And so the custodian approached. And as he, and he, as he did, he set down the garbage, reached into his pocket, pulled out his wallet, removed a few dollar bills, and without even being asked, he walked over to that homeless man, <coughs> gave him the money, said something, and then went about his work. The pastor was amazed by this and humbled by this display of generosity. This part-time janitor who earned less than anyone else on the staff gave generously without even being asked. While the staff had spent hours trying to figure out policies and procedures for doing the same thing. The pastor asked the custodian why he gave the money without even being asked. And he also asked him whether he thought this homeless man might misuse the money and go buy drugs or alcohol with it. But that didn't seem to, be a, that didn't seem to matter to the janitor. He said, I, I always do what I can. I give him a little money and I say, God bless you. Because I figure that even though they may be pretty messed up, they are some mother's son. They are some father's child. And so I give them something. What they do with the money, well, they have to answer to God about that. I just have to answer to God about what I do with mine. 
My friends, that janitor has the love of Jesus in his heart, doesn't he? And I think we could learn something from him. For you see, we have a responsibility to the needy in our community, whether that need be financial or emotional or social or spiritual. There are all kinds of needy people in the world, and it's not all about money. Though there are times when financial generosity is certainly called for. But folks, let me tell you something. We testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ when we see a need of any kind, and then we try to meet it. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Folks, this is what the church is all about. None of us is a grit. There is no such thing as a grit. And there's no no such thing as a follower of Jesus who only looks out for number one. We are a body. We are the body of Christ. And this is how we testify to the resurrection of Christ. By showing our love for one another and for those in need in our community. So let us go forward to testify today to the resurrection of Jesus through our acts of generosity and love to those in need. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing today our closing hymn, number 282. I think this is a wonderful hymn. It's one that speaks to what we're talking about today. Because what we're talking about today is living for Jesus. So we're going to sing about living for Jesus today. And I hope that that's the prayer in your heart. But not just the prayer in your heart, but the work of your lives. That you live for the Lord Jesus. Which means ministering to those in need. Which means finding a need and filling it. That's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. Let us sing together.
Let us go in the spirit of the risen Christ with one mind, one heart, united in our faith that Jesus is our Lord. Go with your sins forgiven and in graciousness forgive others. Go. Serve the Lord with gladness, realizing that freely you have received, and so freely we should give. Amen. Okay.